Today on Blue 58, on what we maybe should consider the real season opener, the Packers are ready to take on the Chicago Bears at Lambeau Field, and both teams, well, are basically unknown commodities coming into Week 2. Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of ThePowerSweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink, happy to be with you here for another episode. Low information games are pretty common early in the season. And what I mean by low information is games where you don't really know much about either team. And among those low information games early in a particular season, this is one of the most low informationist games that I've ever seen. Week one, the Packers had a burn-the-tape game. Things did not go particularly well in Minnesota. Their offense got off to a really bad start uh, with a big play drop on their first play of the entire season, and it kind of went downhill from there. They never really got their feet under themselves. They just never got on track. The defense wasn't much better. A slow start, things got better, but it was far too little and way too late uh, to make any difference. The Bears, meanwhile, well, they basically played in the middle of a hurricane. Judging by the rainfall, they were basically playing in the Shedd Aquarium. It was a monsoon, I think was the word we used after the Packers recap when we talked what was coming and talked about what was coming next. So you really don't know all that much about the new look Bears either. They've got a new head coach, a new offense, a bunch of new players, but we didn't really get to see any of it in week one because the Bears were as busy trying to stay alive in the the rainstorm as they were, you know, trying to put anything on tape for themselves as much as for anybody else. So here we are, heading into week two. Both teams are basically an unknown commodity. Who does that help the most? Well, in a vacuum, I think it actually helps the Bears the most, because they're the one with the, the new head coach, the new offense relative to last year, And in theory, that gives them a small advantage over the Packers because the Packers are pretty well established by this point. We've seen Matt LaFleur's stuff for a long, long time now, and the Bears know how to react. Ultimately, I think it's pretty even. And we basically head into week one with a blank slate on both sides. Even if the Bears think they know the Packers pretty well from history, it's still all new for them in a way, too. Because they still, even if they they think they know what the Packers are about, still have a new way of going about executing their game plans, too, because they've got new people in charge of what they're doing. So here we are in Week 2, both teams trying to take a big step forward. The Packers trying to get back on the right track. The Bears trying to open the season 2-0. and Let's start with the Bears' offense. Their offensive coordinator is a familiar name, Luke Getze, in his first play-calling offensive coordinator gig. Sort of first play-calling offensive coordinator gig. First one at the NFL level, and the first one where he is fully in charge of the offense, because there were some times over the course of the last couple of seasons in Green Bay that he had serious input over offensive play calls, and if not calling them themselves, he was one of the team of guys that Matt LaFleur had working on that particular responsibility. Getsy gets this job after a roughly 15-year journey to this point. He started his career at Akron as a graduate assistant in 2007. He was over at West Virginia Wesleyan as their offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach in 2009. In 2010, he was at Pittsburgh again as a graduate assistant. 
Then from 2011 through 2012, he was at Indiana of Pennsylvania, again as an offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach. He makes the leap to much bigger college football at Western Michigan again uh, in 2013. And by 2014, he's in the NFL working as a quality control coach for the Packers uh, from 2015 through 14 through 15 under Mike McCarthy. Uh, he is again under McCarthy in a new capacity as wide receivers coach in 2016 and 17. He drops down to college for a year in 2018 as the Mississippi State Offensive Coordinator and wide receiver coach. Then he's back with the Packers in 2019 under Matt LaFleur as the quarterback's coach. He gets promoted in 2020 uh, to passing game coordinator in addition to his responsibilities as a quarterback's coach and then uh, continues that role through 2021 as well. And now he's in Chicago in charge of the Bears offense as offensive coordinator. It's been a long road. And he's been able to do a lot of interesting things along that road. And I think it kind of shows that if you're willing to make practically no money for a long period of time, a couple breaks might come your way as a coach, provided that you're in the right spot, right circumstances, you've made the right connections to begin with. Tough business coaching. And uh, there's a lot of luck with getting to the top. But Getsky, Getsy sure has done a lot of work too. And he's been successful pretty much everywhere he's gone. So I don't mean to make it sound like he's not deserving of the role he's got. It, just to point out that, you know, you need quite a few breaks to go your way. And you've got to be able to, to put up with a lot of tough stuff for a long time before you might get one of those breaks. The quarterback on the Bears offense is Justin Fields. And stepping back from the, you know, the dislike of the Chicago Bears, the rivalry stuff, just wanting the Packers to win. Fields is the kind of guy that I'd really like to see do well. Because he's a lot of fun. Running back size, you know, six foot two, two 227 pounds, lifted weight, wide receiver speed, ran mid-4-4s at his pro day, big arm. What's not to like? He's the exact kind of guy that you want coming up as a, as a young upstart quarterback because he does so many exciting things. You just want to be able to watch him because it's, it's fun to watch guys like that. He's a very, very fun player. And uh, you hope that he continues to take steps because, if nothing else, that's that's an interesting sort of player to have in the NFL. He kind of had a rough go of it as a rookie. Ten starts, appeared in 12 games, completed just under 59% of his throws. 1,870 yards, seven touchdowns, ten interceptions. Not really lighting the world on fire as a rookie. And not really what you'd want to see from your first-round quarterback, but he's still a giant ball of potential so I think you give him a little bit of a pass, especially considering that the coaching staff in Chicago at that point was basically at the end of their tenure. Uh, Matt Nagy gets a chance to really save his job with a rookie quarterback if he can make any steps at all. Fields just didn't really improve at all over the course of the season. Nagy gets the boot, and now there's a new staff in place in Chicago. Offensive line, it's been in rough shape for a, a little while here. I think it's, it's still pretty much, uh, we'll say, Putting it positively, the Bears' offensive line is a bit of a work in progress. You probably haven't heard of anybody on their line except for Lucas Patrick, and it really isn't worth talking about beyond that. Patrick didn't even start last week, but he's more of a like a culture locker room guy for for the Bears. Uh, does some good things. There's, if you know what you're in for, there's really nothing to dislike about Lucas Patrick. It's just always a question of expectations. If you're expecting him to be a high end starter, you're going to be disappointed. If you're expecting him to be a guy who can, you know, be a spot starter for two, three, five games, something like that at guard or center, you can get by with that. And uh, Patrick seems to be well-regarded in Chicago, was well-regarded in Green Bay. 
all-around good guy and really making of something of himself after having been an undrafted free agent. More broadly on the Bears' offensive line, as it continues to be this work in progress, I think it's fair here in Week 2, and maybe uh, for some more time throughout this season, it's fair to consider it pretty bad until proven otherwise. And a lot of how their offensive line goes will determine how their offense as a whole goes. Their passing game, in theory, has gotten a total makeover. That's largely due to the scheme change. But I think generally you can look for a few things that aren't necessarily player-specific. And I'm not really going to dive into the specific players in their passing game because I think that's still getting sorted out. Uh, but you're going to see, I think, a lot of crossers, a lot of motion, because that's pretty you know, standard for uh, LeFleur, McVeigh, Shanahan-style offenses. Uh, but the deep shots, on top of all of those things, are really what Justin Fields tends to do pretty well. He did a lot of that at Ohio State, went deep a lot, and I expect him to do that a lot in Chicago in better weather games. The the running game really basically centers around David Montgomery. You know him pretty well. He's been there a while now. The Bears are really enamored with, with David Montgomery, and maybe he's a good player, maybe he isn't. We were pretty high on him pre-draft. I think there's a lot of things to be concerned about in his game. But without being too harsh on the Bears, I think the story on Montgomery is basically that they decided that they had to get him and then have just been committed to him ever since, uh, kind of setting aside all other team-building principles to go get him in the NFL draft. The Athletic did a great piece on it. If you just you know Google a couple terms like the Bears drafting David Montgomery, you should be able to see that if you have an athletic subscription. But basically, um, the story was that they determined pre-draft that they needed to get David Montgomery. They had a pretty good idea about when he was going to be drafted. They were more or less right there. The problem was they had to trade up to get him, and they gave up quite a bit to make that happen. And he's been just fine as an NFL player. Most of his production stats are basically because he just gets a lot of carries. And the Bears are committed to continuing to get him carries because I guess they, they paid a lot of money for this, uh, the David Montgomery experience, and they're going to make sure that they get their money's worth, or try to at least. Who else should we know about on the Bears' offense? Well, newcomer Byron Pringle is the man to whom I would direct your attention. He's a wide receiver, comes to Chicago after three years in Kansas City. I think you'd say he's their de facto number one right now, though they're kind of going with the no true number one approach, I would say. But pretty productive last year for the Chiefs. 42 catches, 568 yards, five touchdowns. Pretty good athlete, not great athlete. 728 RAS, a relative athletic score. Mostly because he's on the smaller side for a receiver. If he put up the same numbers and he was two inches taller and 15 pounds heavier, the numbers would look a lot better. But he still runs in the 4-4 range, 4-4-6 in the 40. Uh, if you make it into a track meet, he could burn you. He can't outrun Eric Stokes more than likely, but um, you know he's, he's plenty fast to make things difficult for the Packers in their secondary. So how do the Packers stop the Bears' offense? Well, Zone defense was a bit of a tricky wicket in week one, but I think zone is the right play here for a couple of reasons. Uh, I don't think the Packers have to worry about one guy specifically. Pringle is their number one guy, uh, but really he's not the sort of guy who should be able to wreck your defense all by himself. Flooding the, the field with, uh, with guys in the secondary is going to be your way forward here. You're going to make things confusing for Justin Fields. You're going to cover a lot of ground with your, with your guys. You also, I think, have to be wary of Justin Fields' running ability, which is considerable and which is easier to stop out of his own defense because your eyes are always forward instead of 
on your man. So zone defense is probably what you're going to see a lot of, and uh, I think it's going to work better this week than it did in week one. Now, looking at the Bears' defense, what do we expect there? Well, now we get a chance to talk about head coach Matt Eberflus. Uh, he has had a long journey to this this job, and we talk about that a lot, but he's 52. He only recently got a coordinator job for the first time at 48 with the Colts, and now he's the head man in Chicago. He's a former college linebacker, played for a little while at Toledo, started his coaching career there. Uh, from 1992 through 1999, he had a, a variety of roles there, uh, through 2000, in fact. Uh, and then he moved over to Missouri uh, from 2001 to 2008 as their defensive coordinator. Jumped to the NFL in 2009 as a linebackers coach in Cleveland under defensive coordinator Rob Ryan, not Rex, Rob, uh, Rex's brother. Then followed Rob to Dallas when he got the defensive coordinator job there, was there as a linebackers coach from 2011 through 2017 when he finally got his own coordinator gig with the Indianapolis Colts in 2018. He was there through last season and now is the head coach of the Chicago Bears. Iberflus runs a 4-3 base defense, so probably a little bit bigger up front than some 3-4 teams, but not necessarily so. Tends towards cover two on the back end, though as with all defenses in the NFL, they're going to tell you that they are multiple both up front and in the back. So you'll see a lot of different looks from Iberflus, and he was pretty successful uh, in Indianapolis as well. Also should make a note that his defensive coordinator, though probably not calling plays with significant impact, is Alan Williams, a long, long, long time NFL assistant who was most notably the defensive coordinator in Minnesota under Leslie Frazier in 2012 and 2013. But he's had a bunch of different roles, was an assistant on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in 2001. I would have to look it up. He may have been there at the same time as Joe Barry, as a matter of fact, but don't quote me on that. That's about the same time Barry would have been there. I wonder if they were there at the same time. He had been in the NFL for uh, for a few years, um, uh, for, at the college level for a few years uh, as well. Uh, jumped to Minnesota, became their defensive coordinator. Detroit Lions, uh, defensive backs coach from 2014 through 2017, and then with the Colts as a defensive backs and safeties coach. Uh, concurrent with uh, Matt Eberflus's time there as well. Uh, now he is the de facto Bears defensive coordinator, uh, getting that job for the second time, though he tends toward that non-play calling variety. Pass defense. We can't be super specific here because, again, just in week two, new system, all that. And I think you're as much looking for who's not there and who's there in Chicago as much as anything else at this point. Kyle Fuller, is gone. Khalil Mack is gone. Eddie Jackson, the safety, still there, though not performing at the level he once was. Jalen Johnson, the young up-and-coming cornerback, is there too. Solid personnel there, not without its holes. The secondary is is vulnerable outside of Jackson and Johnson, uh, but you know, pretty solid uh, in their own respects at that two spots too. Run defense, big deal here is that Akeem Hicks is gone. Uh, though um, Roquan Smith is still making things difficult with his speed and athleticism, though not getting the contract extension he desires from the Chicago Bears as well. Who should we know about? This is where I think things get really interesting. I've written about this for Acme Packing Company this week. Robert Quinn, though not one of the big-name pass rushers, is still one of the best. I would like to direct your attention uh, to the great Brandon Thorne's Substack publication called Trench Warfare. In that, he takes a look at the elite offensive and defensive linemen and you know edge rushers and things like that. Uh, and he does this interesting project called the True Sack 
great project. And in that project, he takes a look at every sack every week in the NFL and grades them, gives them points based on their quality. So we all know that all sacks are not created equal. You can get a sack, you know, being completely unblocked and it goes into your your box score, your season stats, the same way as if you had beaten a double team uh, from two all-pro, you know, tackles. Thorne tries to cut through some of that stuff by grading sacks. And among all the players in the NFL that he studied last year, which was a wide range of players, he graded more than 800 sacks from the 2021 season. Robert Quinn was the best graded pass rusher in the NFL. He had 11 of what Mr. Thorne termed high-quality sacks. That is three more than the next highest performer in the entire NFL. Quinn, by traditional numbers, uh, had 18 and a half sacks last year. He's been a, a pretty good pass rusher in just about every stop in his career. Started out with the with the St. Louis Rams, uh, was with one, them when they moved to L.A., uh, had a season in Miami, a season in Dallas, and now he's on year two with the Chicago Bears, and or year three with the Chicago Bears, and was very, very good last year. Had three sacks, in fact, against the Packers over their two games last year. Interesting thing about Quinn is that he lines up almost exclusively on the right side, so he'll be facing off with whoever is at the Packers' uh, right or left tackle spot there. So if you're looking for a place for the Packers to attack the Bears on defense, I think you're guessing a little bit here because they're, again, not super settled into what they're doing. Uh, but you're, I think you just try stuff and then ride what's working. If that's the run game, go with the run game. If that's the, the passing game, stick with that and hopefully try to go deep a little bit more. It's worth pointing out that the Packers have played Matt Eberflus as a defensive coordinator before 2020, the most recent matchup. They moved the ball pretty well in that game. Deep passing did fairly well. Personnel-wise, that comp is almost worthless because, well, things are completely different now for Eberflus. He's not with the Colts anymore. Now he's with the Bears. It's good to see that the Packers have had success from him before, though the Colts did win that game. Uh, I think it was more a factor of the Packers getting in their own way than anything the Colts necessarily did. But uh, it is worth noting that the Packers have had some success for, against him in the past. So if the Packers stick with whatever it is that ends up working, and I think generally just try to stick with getting their ball to their backs a little bit more, uh, even if you are of the mindset that you know running backs don't matter per se or that uh, the running game is less efficient than the passing game, Ideally, you're going to be able to utilize your best players, and I don't think anybody is really going to argue that Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon are among the Packers' best offensive players. Now, the offensive line circumstances uh, make all of this a little bit more complicated, but hey, uh, you just got to go with what you got at this point and then see how things sort out. Adam Stenovich, for whatever that's worth, said that you might be surprised what the offensive line looks like on Sunday. What does that mean? Who knows? Uh, but he says it's going to be a lot of fun. That remains to be seen. Colts special teams, real quick look, or Bears special teams, excuse me, real quick look. Cairo Santos is their co or their kicker. Great name, pretty good kicker. This is his fourth year in Chicago over two stints there. 56 out of 62 kicking field goals over the past three years. Did go one out of three on point afters last week, but it's hardly his fault. Um, he had only attempted five field goals of 50 or more yards in his most recent span with the the Chicago Bears, so not necessarily a big leg guy. Hey, um, consistency is as much a, a, a something to evaluate there as leg strength. If you can be good from 49 and in, you can get by with that, I think. Their punter is Trenton Gill, first-year guy, 6'4", 219 pounds, out of North Carolina State. Big, tall guy for a punter. 
uh, left NC State as their career punting later, leader, 43.6 yards per punt during his time there. Their punt returner will be Velas Jones Jr. if he is healthy. He's a rookie draft pick this year. He is questionable heading into this game. He's the stereotypical mini burner punt return guy, 5'11", 204, ran a 4'3", at the Combine. Their kickoff returner is probably going to be backup running back Khalil Herbert, 24.1 yards per return on 27 returns in 2021, a long of 50 yards there. Last time around, the Packers ultimately came out on top with a 45-30 to victory, but that was only because they survived a very wild second quarter. What happened in that second quarter? Well, Jakeem Grant scored on a long, basically end-around play, a little shovel pass. Uh, then the Packers scored on a pick six. Uh, the Bears got another 50-plus yard touchdown on a, a little busted coverage in the in the secondary. Then they had a 97-yard punt return for a touchdown again from Jakeem Grant. It was a wild second quarter. The Packers scored a bunch in there too as well. Six touchdowns combined between the two teams. Packers kept up the pace heading into the second half, ended up with a 45-30 to 30, uh, 30 win. Uh, the pass to victory in this game. I think the the key here is for the Packers to keep getting possessions. If the Bears just are able to hunker down and um, just grind out the clock, this could be a, a tough game for the Packers because if if things get uh, you know if the if the team is able to shorten this game, keep the Packers' offense off the field, and keep the game close, things are well. Things could break poorly for the Packers. We've seen things go that way in the past in the Matt LaFleur era. Uh, sometimes things just don't go your way that way. And, you know, you end up getting bitten by a team that isn't as good as as you are just because they managed to stay competitive by keeping the game short. I think that Bears defense is going to crack sooner or later. I think they just have too many small holes that could rupture into bigger ones. And I think this is a game where the Packers have to keep firing. Keep working on that run game pound away. Keep taking deep shots. Don't settle with just just the checkdowns. Just keep firing, and something is going to break on that Bears defense sooner or later. I do think the Packers are going to win this game. Their talent level seems to be higher across the board. If you if you circle back to the team life cycle thing that we talk about now and then, they are further down the road. They should be more established than the Bears. It, they should have a better idea what they want to do and how they're going to do it than the Bears do, they should just be in better shape. Will they ultimately execute at a level high enough to win? I think so, uh, but I, I understand if anybody's confidence is a little bit shaken after last week. Polling-wise, uh, people are generally pretty positive. 93% of voters think the, Bear, the Packers are going to win, significantly higher than last week. But generally speaking, approval ratings are down across the board. Aaron Rodgers down around 40% approval rating. Joe Barry down to just over 17%. Rich Bisaccia, though, well up over 40% uh, as he heads into his second week of the regular season as the Packers defensive coordinator. One last thought, then we'll let you go. Wasn't an ideal debut for either Romeo Dubs, Dobbs or uh, Christian Watson, but I'm still excited. They are as exciting of a wide receiver prospect, both of them, as I've seen in Green Bay in a long time. Circle back to Greg Jennings, Jordy Nelson, James Jones. I think Dubs or Dobbs and Watson are as exciting or more exciting than any of those three guys. They've got athleticism 
like we haven't seen at wide receiver in Green Bay in a long, long time, even with respect to Marquez Valdez-Scantling. I think they are more complete athletes than even he was. I think just the speed alone is thrilling to watch. And just the, the level of potential here is higher than we've been able to, to talk about at receiver really since, well, I guess since Devontae Adams was drafted for sure. But it's hearkening back to those, those great names, Jennings, Nelson, Jones, uh, from a long, long time ago. That's really exciting. And I think we shouldn't let a disappointing week one dull our excitement about Watson and Dobbs. I think they're both good enough that they're going to get this figured out sooner or later. I hope that they get the opportunities to do that. I hope that the Packers and maybe more specifically Aaron Rodgers can continue to be patient with them as they figure things out. I think they're going to, and I'm excited to see what they're capable of when they get there. That's all I've got for you in this episode. The next time we talk to you, hopefully we'll be celebrating a Packers win over the Chicago Bears. Always good to see that kind of thing. I appreciate you tuning in. I'd appreciate it even more if you would take a second and share this episode with somebody you think would enjoy it. That would mean a lot to me, and it would help more people find the show. Quick note in this episode, if you heard a little bit of a background guest in this one, there is a tiny little cricket right outside my recording studio. Tried to filter out as much of it as possible in post. If we didn't get it, we didn't get it. That's the way things go sometimes, especially with the recording environment we got. But uh, but we'll see. Um, hope you, you're able to look past that. And uh, there's just sometimes nothing we can do about it. In the meantime, we will talk to you next time on Blue 58. Continue to share this podcast with things that with people you think are, are going to enjoy hearing it. That is the number one way we grow. And it's the number one pay, way we get more people involved in this conversation about the Green Bay Packers, which in turn helps all of us, me included, become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans. And better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.